I'm getting ready to share with you a proverb. And this proverb has been one of those guiding proverbs for my life. This is a proverb that when I try to make a personal decision, I try to keep this proverb in front of me. When I try to make a decision for our church, it's one of those proverbs that if you can keep this in front of you, you will usually make the right decision. And Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, is an incredible proverb which says, The prudent see danger. And you notice that we italicize the word see. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Now, here's the question. What if you don't see it? I mean, a lot of times you and I can see danger, right? We understand danger. We see red flags. We understand yellow flags. We can hear something beeping. But what if we don't see it? The prudent see danger and they take refuge. I think most of the slices of the pie of your life, you see danger. Now, whether or not you choose to heed obedience to God and submission to God, that's a whole different story. But most of the time, if you have eight slices to your piece of pie, I would say seven out of eight of those dimensions of your life, you see danger. But I would also say one of those slices of your life, you don't see it. It's called a blind a blind spot. Now, we're all familiar with blind spots in, in uh, automobiles and driving, right? How many of you in the room, we haven't had communion yet, that's at the end, so fess up, you have to tell the truth, okay? How many of you have been hit by somebody who said, I, I didn't see you? They hit your mailbox, they hit your bicycle, they hit your car. How many of you in the room have been hit by somebody who said, I, I didn't see you? How many of us in the room have hit somebody? We've hit a mailbox, we've hit a car, we've hit something, and we would say, gosh, I, I, I didn't see you. I, I've almost run over people before. We've got a lady named Peggy who rides her bike all around our neighborhood. And she's up riding her bicycle every morning. She's a retired dentist. I've almost killed Peggy two or three times. <laughs> I got to find out if she's saved before I do her funeral because I'm about to kill her early in the mornings. A blind spot. Everybody has them. Now, this is going to be a really tough sermon series. I'm just going to warn us, the next five or six Sundays, this is going to be a really tall order. Because you see, if you could see it, it wouldn't be a blind spot. It wouldn't be a blind spot. And so I'm asking us to look into things that we can't see. I'm asking us to get outside of ourselves and look down over our lives and try to hear how we talk how to understand how we think. I'm asking you and I to try to do something that we're already not doing. Because if we could see how we're responding, if we could see how we're acting, if we could see that we're talking too much, if we could see that we're not talking enough, if we could see that we're being too critical, if we could see that we're being too passive, if we could see that money or alcohol or sex are trying to fill the holes, if we could see all of that, it wouldn't be a blind spot. So I'm asking us today and the next several Sundays to try to look inside of our lives. Now, there's no way this is going to be successful unless God's Holy Spirit speaks to you. And also, I would venture to say that some of you right now are going thinking to yourself, ah, that's good. He's talking to everybody in the room but me because <laughs> I don't have any blind spots because really I'm the fourth member of the Trinity. And some of us in the room... <laughs> Some of us in the room really don't think we have any blind spots. 
Well, I don't know anybody who doesn't have blind spots. If I talk with you long enough and get to know you well enough, there's not a single person in my 52 years that I've ever seen or recognized who does not have one or two or multiple blind spots. So guess what? You have blind spots. The problem is you can't see them. I've been wanting to do a message series like this for five years. I don't know if I didn't have the courage or maybe I didn't have quite the skill. And after this sermon series, you're going to say you still didn't have the skill. But I'm telling you, this is something that's been on my heart now for about five years. And I want to help you. You see, the reason that you're still stuck is because you have blind spots. The reason you're still stuck where you are relationally, marriage, parenting, with your, with your families, the reason you're still stuck in business, the reason you're still stuck in your vocation is because you and I have blind spots and we cannot see how we're acting or how we are reacting. So this is going to be a tall order. And the Holy Spirit's going to have to go ding, 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 ding. I'm talking to you. I want to speak to you. I want to get some breakthroughs into your life. All right, I want to define a a, a blind spot. This is Parker's definition. This is not Webster's. I came up with this because this is what I want to talk about the next five or six Sundays. So here's a blind spot according to Kurt, okay? A blind spot, let's read out loud together. Here we go. A blind spot is something that keeps you from seeing, hearing, or thinking objectively and logically. That's going to be our definition of a blind spot. Now, here's the problem. Blind spots keep you stuck, Here's the problem. Blind spots isolate and they insulate. Blind spots isolate and they insulate. And you know what else blind spots do? They confuse your identity and they distort your destiny. And that's the biggest problem that we have. Blind spots confuse your identity. Who am I? Who am I in God? Who am I in Christ? Who am I as a woman? Who am I as a man? Blind spots confuse your identity and they distort your destiny. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has a destiny from their heavenly father. And your blind spots keep you from seeing who you are and whose you are and who you were made to be. Now, how do we get these blind spots? Blind spots come from pain. We're wounded. It can be as a child. It can be as a middle schooler. It can be as a young college student. It can be in early, early young adulthood. It can be 50s, 60s, 70s. Blind spots come from woundedness. And so because you've been wounded, you insulate and you isolate. You insulate yourself and you isolate yourself from pain. And so you begin talking a certain way, thinking a certain way, doing things a certain way, hearing stimuli and receiving information a certain way. Aren't you glad you got up and came to church this morning? Huh? I hope so. Because we're getting ready to talk about blind spots for several weeks. And today, I'm going to use a warrior. And this warrior in the Old Testament had a blind spot. And his blind spot happened to be bitterness. And bitterness from this warrior almost kept him from becoming a great judge of Israel. It almost kept him from becoming the great man that God had called him to be. It's a warrior out of Judges chapter 11. And in Judges chapter 11, if you want to turn there with me, we're going to camp out in the first 11 verses in just a couple minutes. 
But this judge's name is Jephthah. And Jephthah was a mighty warrior. It's a long story. I'm just going to share a little bitty portion of Jephthah's life. And Jephthah was bitter. And, and see, here's what happens with bitterness. Bitterness is different than regret. Regret are, is something you did. Bitterness is something that happened unto you. Let me give you an example. Here's regret. I wish I would have studied more. I should have studied more. I knew I should have studied more. Daggone it, why didn't I study more? That's regret. We're not talking about regret. We're talking about bitterness. Bitterness is the professor was out to get me. She didn't like me. He didn't like me. I had to have an A. They gave me a B. I told them I had to have an A. And now I'm bitter. I'm mad as all whatever against the professor. That is bitterness. Regret is I should have. Bitterness is he, she, they, they did it to me. So here's a warrior named Jephthah. And he was bitter because of something that he had absolutely no control over. So in Judges chapter 11, verse 1, let's look at these verses together. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. <clears throat> His father was Gilead. Now, here's the first clue to where we start to go down the bitterness road. But his mother was a prostitute, all right? We're not starting off real good, are we, with old Jephthah? Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when these sons had grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. Verse 3. So Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him, and they followed him. Let's talk about this for just a minute. Here's Jephthah, and he has absolutely no control over this, does he? He is born. Can he help how he's born? Can he help who his father is? Can he help who his mother is? Now he's got half-brothers, and all these half-brothers what? Can he help who his half-brothers are? You see, all this about bitterness is you can't control it. And if we took a 15-minute break in this service right now and had you all in this room to write down everything that's happened unto you, I, I don't know if we'd be in the seven, eight hundreds or maybe in the, the low thousands, but everybody in this room, something's happened to you. And it wasn't your fault. And you didn't do it. And, and, and so quickly and so easily, you can become bitter because of him, because of her, because of them. I mean, I mean, guys, where, where do you start with this? I mean, you start with home. You start with the family. H how many different things can go awry at home? You can have critical parents. You can have passive parents. You can have dominant parents. You can have parents that are just like crazy when it comes to spending all the money and you're living in poverty. You can have parents who drink too much. You can have parents who are promiscuous with other people. I mean, the home itself, we could come up with two or three hundred things that can go awry against you, and you had absolutely nothing to do with it. You can go from home to maybe the next segment of your life, which is school. And maybe you had a first grade teacher that just wasn't very good. You had a first grade teacher that just really didn't like you. 
And maybe they made fun of your accent, or maybe you have a lisp and they made fun of you, or maybe the classmate, and all of a sudden you've got pain and wounds and scars, and you're not even out of the first grade yet. And all of a sudden, inside of your heart, just because of school, and maybe a bus driver, or maybe a coach, you've not even gotten out of elementary school, and there's all these holes inside of your heart. Go to middle school, and the heat just just cranks up about 25 different degrees. Go out into the business world. Go out into the relationship world. Go out into the vocation world. And all of a sudden, we could come up in a room this size with seven or 800 things that happened to you, and you had nothing to do with it. And no wonder you begin to insulate and you begin to isolate yourself because you are hurting. And so here's Jephthah. He can't help it that his dad fathered him through a prostitute. He can't help it that his brothers don't like him and they don't want him to have any inheritance in the land. And so they kick him out as a young adult. And now the story, though, gets really exciting because now they need him. Israel's in trouble with the king of Ammon, and the king of Ammon now is, is going to come and, and waylay the Israelites, and they need a mighty warrior to lead them. And so they're going to call on Jephthah. And so they are asking him and needing him to come back. But he's got some blind spots. What's our definition of a blind spot? He's got some blind spots. A blind spot is something that keeps you from seeing, hearing, or thinking objectively and thinking logically. So we pick, our, pick up our story back in Judges chapter 11, verse 4. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, and this is an interesting verse, because the Ammonites go back 300 years. This goes back to Moses. And Moses took the land as he was going through, and God told him to do it, and he asked for permission to pass the land. They wouldn't give him permission, and now he takes the land. And so I don't know why the king of Ammon, 300 years later, wants his land back, but he does. And 300 years later, of all things, he says, I want my land back. And the Israelites are saying, it's not your land, it's our land. We want our land back. It's not your land, it's our land. And so the king of Ammon now is going to try to have war. Verse 5. The elders of Gilead went to Jephthah. Now, the elders and all the family members kicked him out. The family members said, you're a half-brother. You're not with us. We're not going to have you. They kicked him out, and he goes to another land. Verse 6. Come, they said, be our commander. Well, now they need him, don't they? Come, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. There was not a warrior in the land like Jephthah. Verse 7. And here's our key verse today. Jephthah said to them, well, didn't you hate me? And didn't didn't you guys drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in what? Trouble. I love this verse. And he's bitter and he's angry and he's frustrated and he's disappointed. And because of his bitterness, he almost misses this incredible opportunity to be used by God. Verse 8, the elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you'll be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Verse 9, Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I 
It's like a little boy. Will I really be your head? Look what he says. The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. Verse 11. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over all his words, and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now, it's a great story because this story ends with him having great victory over like 20 different cities. And go back and read it. There's a real strange thing that happens with his daughter. And it's just an interesting, interesting story uh, in the life of Jephthah. But what I want to talk about for a couple minutes today is use Jephthah as an example of we can miss the parade. We can miss the parade that God has us on because of this one little blind spot of bitterness. We're going to talk about a lot of blind spots. We're just talking about one today, which is the blind spot of bitterness. And this is really interesting to me because even the Mayo Clinic has written extensively about bitterness. And there's this long stuff that the Mayo Clinic has in their documents and their articles to their staff. And the Mayo Clinic, I don't think they're trying to be pro-Christian. I don't think they're trying to be anti-Christian. But the Mayo Clinic talks about the, the root of bitterness. And if you have, to their staff, if you have bitterness, you got to get rid of the bitterness. Because you won't be as healthy of a staff person. Because if I thought even the Mayo Clinic recognizes how devastating this can, this can be. I want to show you a picture of a t-shirt. And this t-shirt really talks about bitterness. Bitterness is really drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies, isn't it? I thought that was a great t-shirt. Uh, that, that's Jonathan Adrian's t-shirt, by the way. Um, you know, I got to quit this because he keeps ratcheting this up, doesn't he? Uh, he was good this morning. That was funny. Um, he was. He's not employed here anymore, but he was funny uh, this morning. He, 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 he was great. I, I, I want to... I wanna, talk about this for a couple minutes because I think this is a blind spot that a lot of people have, but they don't, they don't necessarily recognize it. And there's so many offshoots from bitterness. I want to show you another slide because these offshoots are just devastating. You see, what happens with bitterness is bitterness is like the entry point. Bitterness is like where the window begins. Bitterness is where you open up the garage door and all kind of rats and mice and snakes come in the house. This is like where bitterness begins. And you can just look at that picture for just a minute. And those are the offshoots of bitterness. Even the Mayo Clinic talks about this as, a, as an illness. How bitterness becomes a mental and emotional and a psychological uh, illness in your life and in my life. And so it's worthy of our time and it's truly worthy of our attention. So again, where does bitterness come from? It comes from negative events that happen in your life. It comes from circumstances that you had nothing to do with. It's unbelievable how we can be hurt today and truly be innocent and have had absolutely nothing to do with it. So I want to talk about some symptoms and so if, if you've got a blind spot of bitterness, how in the world are you going to recognize it? Well, we, well I, I want to talk about these symptoms. Look at these symptoms. Number one, obsessive detailed memories. If you're obsessing about some of these things that happened to you, now I, 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 can't, I can't imagine being female and being, being molested. I, 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 can't, I can't go there. 
I got two daughters. I can't imagine that. If somebody molests one of my daughters, I'll have a jail ministry because I'll kill them. Okay? Maybe not. No, not, not really. Not really. I'm, I'm, but I'm just dramatic expression. I, I'm, I would be so, I can't go there. I have a young son. I can't imagine someone molesting a, a, a little boy. I, I, I can't imagine some of the things that have happened to some of you in this room. Some of you have been through some of the things. That I, I can't go there. I can't understand that. As a pastor, I weep with you. I wake up at night. I don't sleep at night sometimes because of the things, the stories that you tell me. And so I, I know this is real, obsessive, detailed memories. Another symptom of bitterness is that we're just critical. Some people are just critical, 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 critical. Why are they critical? Because they're bitter. Why are they bitter? Because they got hurt. Why they get hurt? It wasn't their fault, but they're bitter. Number three, another symptom is unwarranted attacks. Just unwarranted. You're just responding almost viscerally, just, just from, from the gut, and you're saying and doing things that you just really shouldn't be doing. Number four is about making evil good. You've turned the whole thing around now. You've gotten so bitter that now you've just completely upside down, wrong side out of what's right and what's wrong. Number five, another symptom is your heart and mouth speak about it in just a totally obsessive way. And those are some symptoms. Now, why does Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 say this? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. In other words, everybody needs to be a Christian. Everybody needs to accept the grace that God's given, the gift, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. You see, the first part of this is when there's bitterness in your heart, it causes you trouble. It's like the T-shirt. You drink poison, hope somebody else dies. But the other problem is, notice the last couple words of this verse, and it defiles many. See to it that no bitter root causes to, no, sorry, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It doesn't just hurt you. If you keep bitterness in your mind and your heart, it hurts the people who are around you. And that's the real problem with bitterness. And then the results are misery. Everybody around you is absolutely miserable. You're miserable and they're miserable. Everybody's miserable. It's kind of a classic old story about these two monks. And the two monks were going by the river, and they see this older lady there who's sitting down by the river. And the first monk says, what's wrong? And she says, I want to cross the river, but there's no bridge. I can't get across the river. And so the first monk said, that's no problem. My partner and I will carry you. So the two monks lock arms, and they carry the older lady across the river. About a mile and a half into the journey on the other side of the river, the second monk says, gosh, look at my clothes. My clothes are all dirty and messy. About a mile and a half later, the second monk says, man, my hands and arms are just, just killing me. About a mile and a half later, the second monk says again, my back. Oh, my gosh, I got to sit down. My back is killing me. And the first monk says, you know what? I- I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. You know why I'm not complaining? Because I sat her down five miles ago, and you're still carrying her. That's what happens with bitterness. If you don't set it down, if you don't lay it down, if you don't leave it, you will carry it and it will hurt every part of you and it will defile many other people. I thought about this today, bitterness, as we ordained Stephen and Griffin. 
And I can't tell you how proud I am and what a privilege it is for me and, and all of us other pastors to work with these two young guys. It's just a privilege to, to mentor them, and they are just full of incredible spiritual potential. But I thought about this whole concept of bitterness. And I thought about over the last 32 years, I, I couldn't begin to tell you the stories that have happened to me as a pastor over the last 32 years. You, you would not believe the emails that I've gotten. I, I get an email every week from somebody mad about something. And if I'm still carrying that, then I can't be effective today if I'm carrying that from, from the past. Um, I, I remember some of Danita's story, my wife. It is a miracle. My wife even likes church. She was a five-year-old little girl, and her daddy's a preacher. And every year they would vote on whether or not to keep the preacher. It was a Sunday night service. She's holding her daddy's hand. And they outvoted him. They voted against him. And some man comes up and tells her dad and my wife, who was five years old at the time, they were going to have to move. And you wouldn't believe the stories that that, that family can tell you about how people have treated them so poorly all over the years. Um. We, we just got so many of these stories, and, and, and I had to stop and really think about some of them, but one of them was the day Ethan was born. One of our leaders from our church also went into the hospital on the day my son was born, and he was so mad at me that I did not go visit him in another hospital on the other side of town on the day my son was born, and he's still mad at me even to this day. I didn't come show up and see him in the hospital. I'm not going to go on the day that my son's born. I'm going to be there with my wife. I'm going to take care of my, my family. When we were first in this church in Memphis, great, great church in Memphis, but there were four older men who were very old, way, way past retirement, lost all their power, and they were just bitter, just bitter old men. And I'm 28 years old, brand new pastor at this church, and it doesn't matter what I said or what I did, these four guys were against it. It just just didn't matter. I didn't preach long enough. I didn't preach loud enough. I didn't preach with, with enough scripture. I used too many scriptures. It, it just didn't matter. And so I would always stand at the door and we would greet everybody who left the church. And these four older guys would have cost me every Sunday morning. I, I'm a brand new, I've been there for like five or six months. And the elders of the church saved me. They both had, a, they assigned an elder on my right, an elder on my left. And every time these four older guys would come to the line, they'd reach in front of them, grab them and pull them outside. It looked like the KGB standing up there next, <laughs> ne- next, next to me. Saved my, saved my ministry. You just wouldn't believe. And so that's just vocationally that Stephen and Griffin, that we will have to, have to, come, to, to come to grips with. Well, what about you? How, how, do you get, how do you leave it behind? Because those things that happened to you, they weren't right. They weren't fair. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have said that. She should never have done that. You're absolutely right. But how in the world do you and I get free? What are the steps to freedom? I want to share some of those with you as we wrap this up. If you'd like to take the notes in the bulletin, there's some blanks for you to fill in the bulletin. But I think these are our steps to freedom. Number one, make a list. Let's just fill in the blanks, Deb, if you would. Make a list of the ways that person has offended you. I just want you to think about this. 
If you've lived to be at least 12 years of age, somebody's offended you. And before we take communion this morning, I'm going to ask us to think about this and to lay it down. Number two. Number two is make a list of your own faults. This is a reality check. This is just for you to realize that you're not the fourth member of the Trinity, okay? This is the reality check. Make a list of the ways that person has offended you. Make a list of your own faults. Number three, make a list of the things you've done for which God has forgiven you. Wow, that's a real reality check, isn't it? That is sobering to me when I stop and think about all the ways and all the things that God has done for me, how he has forgiven me. Number four, ask God to forgive you for your bitterness toward that person. Now, here's the pivotal step. That's the step toward freedom. That's right there where you turn the corner. That's the decision. I've made a decision to forgive that parent. I've made a decision to forgive that grandmother. I've made a decision to forgive that uncle. I've made a decision to forgive. I had 50 incredible teachers, but I had one bad one maybe in first grade. I've made a decision to forgive that one teacher. I made a decision to forgive that one coach. I made a decision to forgive that coworker. I made a decision to forgive that business partner. I made a decision to forgive. I made a decision. Number five, Ask God to give you the ability to forgive him or to forgive her. Ask him. Ask God to give you that ability. Lord, give me the ability. I don't have the ability. I'm so angry. I'm so disappointed. I'm, God, this shouldn't, you're right, shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. Will you give me this ability? Give me this ability to forgive him. Will you give me this ability to forgive her? Number six. Take total responsibility for your attitude. That's really what I'm asking you to do in this whole message series. I'm asking you to take responsibility. You see, God has given you every one of the spiritual blessings in Christ to give you toward freedom. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will transform you. He has redeemed you. He will renew you. God will do everything to set you free. And now you make a decision. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to take responsibility. And I'm going to get rid of that bitterness that's in my heart. I'm not going to let roots of bitterness get deeper and deeper and deeper inside my heart. I'm going to be free. And I'm going to walk freely. So we're going to take communion in just a second. And... um, before we take communion, though, we're going to sing this song. You just kind of sit there and relax. But we're going we're gonna to sing the, the I Surrender. And we really want you at this time to make this a... Will you lay this at the Lord Jesus' feet? Will you, will you lay that bitterness at his feet so that you can be set free? So if you would, just kind of hold on to the loaf and hold on to the cup. And you take it on your own this morning, whenever you're ready. You've made your list, you've forgiven, you've thought about these six different steps. So they're going to go ahead, go ahead and pass out communion at this time, if you would. They're going to pass this out. You hold on to it. You come clean. You set this at the Lord Jesus' feet. And you take this at your will as you listen to this amazing song. Let's surrender. In the Gospel of John... 
we see that Jesus was so misunderstood. If there's anybody that ever could have been bitter, it would have been Jesus. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at the next verse. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did, did not receive him. However, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was misunderstood. He was uh, abused. He was victimized. Jesus Christ had many people who never understood or recognized his ministry. It says, yet, yet, to all who believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. I don't think Jesus was bitter. I think Jesus had a heart of love and compassion for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. I believe that Jesus wanted everybody to become one of his children, one of his followers, one of his disciples. And so every Lord's Day, we give you that opportunity. We give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask us to stand at this time. And the invitation is open for you. Maybe today is your day to say, I do believe. I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or maybe today is your day to say, you know what? I, I, I think I've got some blind spots. I, I, I can't quite see my blind spots. I know we're going to talk about this for the next five or six weeks, but I, I want somebody to pray for me and to pray with me and to pray over me that the Lord will reveal my blind spots to me. Or maybe today you know you're bitter, you're hurting, you really are hurting because of what he did or she did or they did or they should have, could have, but didn't. And maybe today you're hurting deeply because you're bitter. And uh, even though we just went through communion and we tried to lay it at his feet, you're afraid you're going to pick it back up again. You laid it down a minute ago, but you're scared you're going to pick it back up again. Would you today let somebody pray for you that you will truly let that go, leave it behind forever and forever? I, I, I am really excited about this whole thing of blind spots. I don't know if you are or not, but I'm excited about it because I think it's your ticket to growth. It is your ability to grow with God and to grow with people and to grow in parenting, marriage, vocationally. It's your opportunity to grow and grow and grow. And, and let's be honest, we get stuck. This is a series that's going to put, put us in warp drive with growth, okay? Let's pray together. God, I thank you again for Stephen. I thank you for Griffin. I thank you for their beautiful wives. I thank you for these ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that you've given us this opportunity this morning to lay this at your feet and to be prayed for and prayed with. I thank you for the, the time of Holy Communion that we were able to share in your body and your blood.
that cleanses us and strengthens us and proclaims your death until you come again. What a great morning, God, to bring you praise and glory and honor. And let us grow and grow and grow and grow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.